following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. I don't know about any of you, but I've been thinking about Halloween a lot lately. <laughs> well, my feelings on Halloween have come full circle over the course of my life. I don't know if this is uh, true for you as well, but uh, when I was a kid, I loved Halloween. And then um, I got to maybe like adolescence. And from adolescence through early adulthood, I didn't like Halloween very much. You could probably go so far as to say I actively disliked it. I don't like to use the H word. But um, yeah, I didn't like it at all. And then in um, later... Uh, later early adulthood, I'm not into like middle age or anything, but uh, let's call it later early adulthood, I came to, uh, to like Halloween again. I might even go so far as to say I, I, I kind of love Halloween. So as a kid, I liked Halloween for one reason, it was candy, right? That's why we like, that's, why, that's our, first, our first thing to love about Halloween is candy. Um... I personally am not a costume person very much, so that never appealed to me um, nearly as much as the candy did. It's mostly the candy. Um, and then I reached this very sad moment in my life where I was too old and too big to go up to strangers on Halloween and ask them to give me candy, uh, particularly uh, if I refuse to wear a costume. There's a certain age at which you'll give a, a an adolescent, some candy, but they've got to be in a costume. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, and that's, uh, no. I drew a little f- smiley face on my finger. Remember that Ziploc commercial with the smiley face finger? I'm like, that's my costume, and it didn't work. And then I knew I was done. Halloween had expired for me. And so from then until, you know, um, sometime in my 20s, I just did not like Halloween. And then, c- can you guess what happened at sometime in my 20s that made me kind of like Halloween again? I had <laughs> Not alcohol, no. Uh, although I, I, I do think I have seen somebody carrying a flask on the, uh, on the Halloween trail, um, going around into these neighborhoods with our friends from Artisan. I won't say who. No, I had children. Um, and I began to see Halloween through their eyes. Uh, and there's really this kind of cool thing that when you become a parent, you get to... You get to kind of um, unashamedly have fun doing kid stuff yourself, which all of us could do, but it's kind of like if you don't have a kid there with you, it doesn't quite fly. Um, but then you also get to have vicarious fun because they're having fun as kids, and you get to like, have both of those experiences at the same time. It's pretty neat. I recommend it. Um, but then I started to appreciate Halloween on a, on a deeper level, which is more of like a, what I would call a community level. Um, because what happens on Halloween is a whole group of people, a neighborhood, a whole, a whole country, really, but, I mean, keeping it local, our neighborhoods get together and decide, we're going to do something fun just to be nice to each other. <laughs> we're going to give away candy to people who come to our door randomly. We're going to let people come to our door and not call the police. And then we're going to give them candy. And we're going to, like, it's going to be a big party. When we go, we meet here on Halloween, and, and we walk through these neighborhoods here, and the, the, they're beautiful. 
It really is a community event. It's people showing love to each other in a most basic way. And that made me like Halloween more. That's, a, that's something I never would have appreciated as a kid. I'm just, you know, you just give me the candy. That's, I don't need to think very hard about it. Now, I have to say, uh, I'm not all the way there with Halloween. Some of you, some of you need to s- slow your roll just a little bit on Halloween. Um, some of you are a little too into this. Um, the, the inflatables in the yard. Uh, um, <laughs> some of you put up Halloween lights, like in August. By the way, Halloween lights, that's not a thing. That's, that's not a thing. So, I, I mean, I'm not all the way there. Halloween still kind of annoys me. And I'm still not into, like, the spooky monster stuff. I never watch horror movies or anything. That, that never has quite appealed to me. But I do kind of like Halloween. Um, relatedly, uh, we are in the second week now of this new series called Being Christian, um, which is the Artisan Spring Read, using this book of the same title by uh, Archbishop Rowan Williams, who was Archbishop of, Archbishop of Canterbury at one time, and has written this book about being Christian, which doesn't necessarily mean, uh, here's all the, the little detailed things that you do when you're a Christian. It's more, uh, as he says in, in the introduction, about the simple and recognizable things that make you realize that you're part of a Christian community, which of course bleeds into our specific behaviors too. Um, but it's really about the marks of the Christian church. What characterizes those of us who call ourselves Christian. Now, if you haven't got a copy of this book yet, it's not too late to get one. I don't have any more this week, um, as I've had in the past week, but it's only $6 on Amazon. Um, The digital book is a little bit more than that, but still pretty affordable. And uh, if you ordered it on Amazon Prime while I talk right now, you'd have it on Tuesday, I think. If you don't have Amazon Prime, we do, and it's what? Did we sell sell out the book on Amazon? (laughs) Oh, my. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just lied to all of you unintentionally. And the, the poor 845 people, they didn't have Laura here to tell them. Well, at any rate, um, maybe you can get a copy somewhere. I don't know. They might have used copies. Somebody might be willing to loan you their copy. But it would be great to read along with us. It's, a, it's an easy-to-read book. It's, it's, um, the chapters are short and very digestible. So. Uh, Last week, we started off by talking about chapter 1, the the idea of baptism. And that was kind of a kickoff, not only to the series, but to the concepts of the book. And so I encourage you to listen to that sermon if you haven't yet. I think the podcast hasn't been updated just yet, but it should probably be later today, I would guess. Um, By the way, our podcast is now available on Stitcher. I didn't really know that we had to do something special to be on Stitcher, but if if you use Stitcher and you haven't found us, try again, because I think we should be there now. Um, you can also listen in the Artisan mobile app right there on your phone if you do that kind of thing. But go back and listen to that, kind of get yourself um, oriented to the concepts of this series. And then um, I want you to listen to it also because it may be that you, it would be appropriate for you to, to be baptized. And we're going to have a baptism service Memorial Day weekend. It would be May 28th. Um, we're going to one service for the summer on the 21st, by the way. So a few more weeks of two services. Then we'll go to one service. It'll be at 10 a.m., the 21st, and then on the 28th, we'll have baptism service. It's going to be a huge, big celebration. The place is going to be packed with families and well-wishers. It's going to be a really, really nice time. So if you would like to be baptized, please get in touch with me. 
Um, at Artisan, we also baptize infants uh, at the parents' request. We also will dedicate infants at the parents' request. It's really up to the parents. Some people prefer not to do baptism for, for babies. Um, we don't get into the, the big debate about that in the church. We're willing to do either one. But if you have recently had a baby, you'd like to have the baby baptized, um, we'll do that too. But please get in touch with me because uh, that's happening on May 28th, right here in this room. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful day. So this week we turn to chapter 2, which is about the Bible. And I love this chapter. I love this chapter of the book um, so much that I, I, like it, was, I, it took restraint for me not to just sit up here and read the whole chapter to you. We would have had time, probably, if I didn't talk about that Halloween stuff. But one reason that I like it, actually, though, is that I've, I've had a similar experience with the Bible as I had with Halloween, where I loved the Bible as a child, but for childish reasons. And then I reached adolescence and early adulthood, and I didn't like the Bible so much anymore. I started to see some of the complications and problems that are there. But then later, in early adulthood, (laughs) I I came to this new understanding of the Bible, and now I love it more than I ever did as a child, and for different, and I think, better reasons. And the way that Rowan Williams talks about the Bible in chapter 2 of this book is very much in line with that kind of adult, mature appreciation that I've come to have for the Bible. Um, and so his perspective really just was very appealing to me. But, so if part of being Christian is the Bible, then what are we to do with it? What are we to do with the Bible? Well, the answer can be given in one word. What we do with the Bible is listen. We listen. To the Bible. Or more properly and more in line with what Rowan Williams actually says, we listen to God through the Bible. He says that the Bible is the territory in which Christians expect to hear God speaking. And I love that geographical metaphor because it's like I'm in this part of the world and I can't hear God speaking. If I go to the territory of the Bible, I can hear God speaking. He says that the Bible uh, is in some way what God wants you to hear. So as Christians, we listen to the Bible, and in doing that, we listen to God. And I do like that he chose the word listen rather than the, 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 the other word that you might have thought is the thing that you do with the Bible. What do you do with your Bible every day if you're a really good Christian? You read it. But I like the verb listen better for a couple of reasons. One is that, as he points out, for the vast majority of Christian history and Jewish history before that, people did not have copies of the Bible that they could read silently to themselves for a host of reasons, not least of which is it would have been enormously prohibitively expensive for uh, believers to have the scriptures written out for them until the age of the printing press. Um, it was cost prohibitive to do that. It's, not also very, it's also not very practical to carry around all the scrolls with you to read the Bible. And so there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible silently to yourself, but what Christians do, and what Christians have done, actually, is listen to the Bible. So there's that first aspect of it. And then I like the verb listen because it really involves kind of, it implies an, an active posture of receiving something from God when we go to read the Bible. So it's not just reading passively, it's listening. So I'm going to come back at the end, I think, if I have time, to the idea of listening to the Bible, being read. 
Um, but what Roland Williams says is that the Christian life is a listening life. Isn't that interesting? If you think about the way Christians behave, sometimes we think of a lot of talking <laughs> or yelling. But the Christian life is a listening life. And so what I want to do is give you an overview of what Rowan Williams says in this chapter, uh, which I would basically summarize this way. It's how do you listen to God? Right? If we want to listen to God in the Bible, how do we do it? Because sometimes it's, it's hard to do that. Sometimes we try and fail. And so what I want to say is that if you want to listen to God through the Bible, you have to know the source. Okay? You have to hear the story. You have to keep Jesus at the center. And then we have to stick together in this whole thing. Right? Know the source, hear the story, Jesus at the center, and stick together. That's what I want to say um, we have to do to listen to God in the Bible. So you have to know the source. That's the first thing. And I would say you have to know the whole source of the Bible, right? um, which is more daunting than maybe it sounds at first. It's not just a matter of memorizing the names of 66 books, which some of us had to do if we were raised in the church or went to certain types of summer camp and that kind of thing. You have to know about the whole source. You have to understand what the Bible is and then also understand what the Bible is not if you want to listen to God through it. He says it this way. I'm going to read you a little bit here from um, chapter 2. Um, because sometimes I have said to you, if you've been around a while, you've probably heard me say, the Bible is not a book, it's a library. It's a collection of books. And that's true. Uh, it's a concise way of saying it, but he has this really beautiful way. He uses an analogy uh, that I think is very helpful. So here's what he says. Uh, the diversity of the Bible is as great as if you had within the same two covers Shakespeare's sonnets, the law reports of 1910, the introduction to Kant's critique of pure reason, the letters of St. Anselm, and a fragment of the Canterbury Tales, all within the same two covers. And remember that the chronological span of the books of the Bible is even longer than that of the examples I have just given. Isn't that an interesting way of saying it? Imagine all those different types of literature. I don't even know what those all are. The, the law reports of 1910, I have no idea what that is, but it does not sound fun to read. Imagine all of those types of literature in one bound volume. Well, that's exactly the type of thing that you have in the Bible. And if you don't recognize that, you may be in for a, kind of a shock when you start to read it. Which leads me to the second part, which is that you have to hear the story. There's a story contained in Scripture, despite the fact that it is this volume binding together all different types of literature from all different type, times of, of history, written by all different types of people. There is a story that's present in that book, in that library, if you will. And you have to hear the whole story, because no isolated incident or no single passage in the Bible, even the really, really good ones that you might put on a billboard at a football game, tell the whole story of God. You really do have to do some work. You have, to, you have to beware of what the whole thing is and read the whole thing in order to grasp what is going on. And if you just pop in randomly, if you just do that thing where you're like, okay, God, what do you got for me? And wine to gladden the human heart. <laughs> okay, so it's not always so bad. But, <laughs> but there are certain verses in the Bible that I'm not even going to give you the reference to 
Because if I did, your children would go look them up and you would have some very difficult things to explain. Right? If you just pop in randomly, you may find something that's weird or confusing or even downright disturbing. And the way that you can kind of cope with some of that is to understand where it fits in the whole story. And especially it's helpful to understand that there's an evolution of thought and understanding right within the pages of the Bible. I talked to you several months back, I don't remember what the sermon was about, but I gave you an example of uh, a passage, two passages in the uh, Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament. One where David sinned, King David sinned, and the, um, the fault for his sin was attributed to God placing it in his heart to do this sinful thing. And then there's a later telling of the same events that says David's sin was put in his heart by Satan. Now, I know this is heavy theology, but these two, um, these two things are kind of mutually uh, uh, exclusive. They're opposed to each other. These two reasons someone might sin are not consistent, okay? And so what has happened in the intervening years? Well, in my opinion, it's that people evolved in their understanding of who God is and what God is like. It's not like the pagan deities that control everything and move things around and cause people to do evil things to one another. God is not like that. And now we know that. Um, uh, Rowan Williams uses this other example from the prophet Hosea who condemns a person who in an earlier book of the Old Testament was celebrated and praised. The person happened to be a mass murderer. Uh, he, uh, he murdered some really evil people, so I, I guess you could see why he might be praised, at least at first. But Hosea, with more evolution of thought and the benefit of some hindsight and maybe some different inspiration from God, looks back on that event and says that he was not to be praised. He should be condemned. So you have to watch for that evolution of thought and understanding if you're going to, to see the story and know the whole story of the Bible, which is important if we're going to hear God in its pages. Uh, Williams also says that the Bible is sort of like a parable of Jesus. You know how Jesus went around teaching, and the main way that he would teach was through stories. He would say the kingdom of God is like this thing, and, and he would expound on that for a little while. And sometimes the disciples, at the end of that, would be like, what? What are you talking about? But even the ones that were really obvious sometimes, if you had just gone past him as he was teaching and heard one sentence of it, and not heard the beginning of the story or the end of the story, that would not be enough to understand what Jesus was trying to teach, correct? The same thing is true of the Bible. If you just randomly pull a, a verse out, or a chapter out, or even a book out, you know, Joshua and Judges, those are hard books to read. There's a lot of violence in there. You can't read those on their own. It's like walking past while somebody's telling a story and only getting one sentence of it. This might be sort of a controversial thing to say, but I'm just quoting the author who we're studying. So here's what he says. Many of the Israelites thought it was God's will that they should engage in ethnic cleansing. Implied there is that when the Bible says that God told them to do that, that's not what God actually told them. Isn't that interesting to think? That makes the work of understanding the Bible and hearing God a little bit more complicated and, and challenging isn't it? He warns us, guard against the temptation to take just a bit of the whole story and treat it as somehow a model for our own behavior.
So, you have to know the source. You have to know the whole source. You have to know the story. You have to know the whole story. And the third thing is you have to keep Christ at the center. You have to look at Jesus at the, at the middle of this whole story. Again, quote the book, What Criteria Do We Have for Discerning Truth from Falsehood? The Christian answer is, unsurprisingly, in terms of Jesus Christ. Jesus, living, dying, raised from the dead, breathing his spirit on the church, it is in his light that you read the Bible. Isn't that beautiful? And then he says, now that is a lifetime's work. Oh. <laughs> I don't like work that lasts a lifetime. I want work that's like eh, 10 minutes. I mean, I don't do the dishes. That's fine. I don't want to do work for my whole life, especially as regards my spiritual life. It would be easier if we could just turn the switch on and I could grasp all of that. That is not the promise that we are <clears throat> given, not really in any way. It's a lifetime's work of studying the scriptures and seeing Jesus through them and seeing them through Jesus, more importantly. So a helpful question is to say, when you're reading a passage of Scripture, where do I see Jesus in this? Where is Jesus in this passage? And that may be a very hard question to answer. It may be that you don't have any success trying to answer it yourself. Reading the Bible is about listening to God in Jesus, but it's hard to find Jesus sometimes. And some of those books I mentioned before can be a challenge. But that brings me to the last point, which is we have to stick together. This is something that we do in community with each other. The, the common Christian image of um, me and my Bible under a tree somewhere with the Holy Spirit, that is not how things work. I mean, unless you're on a deserted island all by yourself. In that case, you can do this on your own. But otherwise, I agree with John Wesley. He says no one can be a Christian alone. That's why we are here together. And so... When we're trying to do that work, where do we see Jesus in this passage and we have nothing? It can be helpful to turn to the person next to us and say, hey, am I losing my mind? Is this really awful? And the person will say, yeah, I think it kind of is, if they're being honest. And sometimes that honesty is, is just enough to keep you going. But sometimes they might have good insight, too. So reading the Bible in community with each other is very important. But it's not just reading the Bible in community with each other right here, because as wonderful as this group of people is, we don't contain, we don't, we don't, we don't possess all of the knowledge in the world. Sorry. Specifically, uh, there are people who have interpreted the Bible who have a different perspective than we have. They have the benefit of a different angle on life or on the text. And we, if we uh, exclude them from our reading then we will be impoverished as a result. I'll give you an example. Um, <clears throat> imagine people um, who are fleeing Syria right now en masse, leaving because of all the reasons they're leaving Syria. Could you think that it might be possible that, that readers of the Bible who have fled their homeland because of violence could read the book of Exodus a little differently than I read it or you read it? sitting on a couch watching Netflix. Having the benefit of that kind of perspective is really valuable. And it's not just people from other parts of the world or different cultures. That's important. But we are, uh, 
we are part of a very long story here. There's been people trying to interpret the Bible for a very long time. One of our foundational values at Artisan is roots, right? Uh, it says that we, we celebrate the Christian faith as it's revealed in, in the Bible and as it's worked out in the life of God's people through the ages. So it would be helpful, taking a, a, a random example again, uh, to looking at those passages where it seems God condones violence, what did the church think of those in the first few hundred years of its existence before they got in bed with the Roman Empire? Huh? If you go back there, they have a very different perspective on Christian violence. Isn't it weird how they, they got the emperor converted and then he got them converted? And from then until now, the, the predominant interpretation of those Christian of, of those portraits of God, of violent God, um, has been used to justify all kinds of violence that we commit. And so if we don't read the Bible in community with the early church, we are going to miss some very important things. We talk about this sometimes when we come to a controversial topic and we think, you know, maybe our view is different from the, from the majority of the church. It's, it, it ought to slow us down when we find that we're in disagreement with our entire historical background. doesn't mean that there's not re- new realizations that can be had, but we have to respect uh, the thing that we're part of. Does that make sense? So I want to uh, read this, the very last sentence or two of this chapter. chance to read something else to you really briefly. So we read together, we hear together, and instead of that picture of the Bible as a book held in the hands of a solitary reader alone in a room, have in your mind another kind of picture, one in which somebody is proclaiming God's story to a gathering of diverse people, and all of them asking themselves and asking one another, how do we find ourselves in this? How are we going to be renewed together by this reading? And I would add, where do we see Jesus in this? Because when that happens, the Bible is an essential source as well as a sign of the Christian life. You see, when I was a kid, I thought the Bible was a sign of Christian life. If you're a Christian, you read the Bible, that's what you do. And yes, but it's actually a source of the Christian life as well. Um, And then I'm going to do this very briefly because uh, I'm I'm going a little bit long, but I really really want you to hear this. Do you remember how I was talking about um, early early Christians and um, even not-so-early Christians hearing the Bible read? I want to read to you just a few things from the Bible. And I'm going to ask you, unless you have a physiological or a cognitive reason that you would need to see the words on the page, just to listen, okay, Um, like the early Christians would have done. I'm going to read a few passages uh, that are so beautiful and important to me and to us. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by a Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and He sustains all things by His powerful Word. Philippians chapter 2. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And then lastly, some of the very last pages of the Bible, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be His peoples. And God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. That is the beautiful picture of the end of the story that we are given in the words of Holy Scripture. What a beautiful joy it is to wait with anticipation for that moment when God will wipe away the tears from every eye. As we move toward that end, Christ offers Himself to us. And so we celebrate communion weekly at Artisan with an open table, meaning that anybody who wants to follow Jesus is welcome to come to the table. We have the bread representing His body, which was broken for you and for me. We have the the cup containing the wine or the juice, which is His blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. All who desire to follow Jesus and be like Him are invited to come now and receive His body and His blood. Take a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice. Take it into your own body. May it be for you the body and blood of the Savior. May it be food for your hungry spiritual souls. And may it be an act of community and communion with each other, with Christians around the world and throughout the history of the church. Drawing that thread back to the moment of His death and resurrection, which we proclaim when we do this together. There'll be a member of the prayer team at the back of the sanctuary who'd be happy to pray with you if you'd like that. And uh, it's always okay simply to observe and think during this uh, time of our service. Um, But I ask you to respond however the Spirit may be speaking to you today. And we'll continue to sing a couple more songs as we finish up our service together. Come to the table, if you will. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.